Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. This is an audio version of the 24th Annual Dice Awards Roundtable Series. To watch the video of this episode, please visit youtube.com slash official AIAS. Brought to you by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, this is the award celebration by game makers for game makers honoring the games that connect players around the globe. No matter where we come from or what our interests, video games bring us together. We gather here to honor our fellow creators and the very best of interactive entertainment. Welcome to the 24th Annual Dice Awards. Welcome to the 24th Annual Dice Awards conversation with our nominees for the Family Game of the Year category. This is going to be super, super cool. We have a lot of fun games to talk about. Uh, and I hope when we kind of talk about all of this together that, you know, we'll hear more about the process, about your teams and about the wonderful games you have made in the world. Uh, first up, we have from Animal Crossing New Horizons, we have Nate Bildorf. How are you doing, Nate? I'm doing great. How about you? Good, good, good. I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the work you've done in this space and, and, and share that with the folks at home. Uh, I am the Senior Vice President of Product Development and Publishing at Nintendo of America. Uh, the first Animal Crossing game on GameCube was one of the very first games that I worked on uh, at Nintendo in the localization department. And I've had the pleasure of, of course, working on countless games um, over the years. Uh, I'm honored today to be representing the entire uh, Nintendo development team behind Animal Crossing New Horizons, and most specifically, Ms. Kyogoku, who directed it. Very, very cool. Uh, joining us from Astro's Playroom, we have Nicholas Dosette. How are you doing, Nicholas? Hey, very well. Thank you very much for having us today. Um, so yeah, I'm Nicholas and I uh, work over at PlayStation. So I'm the game director on the Astro's Playroom. And so I've been uh, um, around uh, the industry for some years at Sony for uh, a good like 15 years. And um, so yeah, working on, um, on, on this game, it's been um, you know, we've been making a pre-preloaded pre game, so that's quite particular. Uh, and that's been really, really good fun. Um, getting the reactions of you know, you know, millions of people, and and yeah, we're really, um, really happy to be here and um, discussing with you guys today. Awesome! So happy to have you here as well. And and joining us from the team over at Dreams, we have Siobhan Reddy. How are you doing, Siobhan? I'm great. How are you? Good to see doing you. Doing well. Doing well. Good. Happy to see you. Uh, give the folks at home a little bit of info about the work you've been doing as well. Uh, yeah. So I'm the studio director over at Media Molecule. And uh, most recently, we made a game called Dreams. Uh, we launched it. Uh, sort of user-created content projects. Prior to that, we made a game called Tearaway. And prior to that, we made one called LBP. Um, and our sort of thing is creative gaming. That's, that's what we like to do. We love seeing people express themselves and get whatever is going on in that 
lovely imagination of theirs out onto the screen. Um, yeah, and that's the kind of thing that I like to do. Fantastic. So happy to have you here. Uh, joining us from Fall Guys, we have Joe Walsh. How are you doing, Joe? Hey, yeah, doing really good. Thanks. Good, good. Give the folks at home a little info about the work you've been doing in the industry as well. Sure. So, yeah, I'm lead game designer on Fall Guys and have been pretty much since day dot. So uh, pitched the game over three years ago to a bunch of people who really had no idea how to make it. And we sort of landed our way through development and are now in this kind of insane spot uh, where the game's been, been a huge success and are continuing to kind of keep it running and update it and add a bunch of cool new stuff that we come up with. So, um, yeah, yeah, really excited to be chatting about it. Very cool to have you here. And rounding out our group from Sackboy, A Big Adventure, we have Ned Waterhouse. How are you doing, Ned? Hi, I'm doing good, thank you. How are you? Good, doing doing all right, doing okay. Uh, give the folks at home a little info as well about the work you've been doing. Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Ned Waterhouse. Um, I'm a design director at Sumo Digital. Um, I've, I've worked as a games designer for, for 15 years um, at Sumo. Um, and most recently, I've, I was the design director on Sackboy Big Adventure. Again, thank you all for being here. You know, super excited to talk about your games and, and excited to see you all nominated uh, for Family Game of the Year. The, the, the first question I want to dig into, and we'll go around the horn with this one, is you know, what's the most challenging thing about making a game geared towards this kind of broader family audience? It, it is a thing that I think a lot of companies not not necessarily struggle with in terms of you know building out a game but thinking about it from the ground up and possibility having the possibility of having you know younger folks in the space playing your game is something that i think a lot of people are thinking about um i want to go to you first nate on that one i think i think your game initially when i think of a game that would be super super you know easy to think about as a family game i think of animal crossing so, so what are your thoughts about you know what's the most challenging part of that process I think probably the most challenging thing is uh, striking that balance between um, something being accessible and something being compelling, you know, from a long-term standpoint, because you need to have a very low barrier of entry uh, for, uh, I think, you know, when you think about very young members of the family or maybe uh, members of the family who are older who don't play video games, um, you know, is there some hook in there that's going to get them playing. Sometimes in Animal Crossing, it's a literal hook. You know, I know, I know people <laughs> whose kids, all they do is fish. You know, that's, that's what they do. They get boot the game up and go fishing. Um, and, uh, but you still need a deep game experience there for, you know, more core members of, of the family. Maybe the person who bought, bought the Switch. Um, what is there for that member um, to do and uh, to engage with on a, on a daily basis, on a long-term basis? So, and then, you know, hidden, hidden every sort of, striation in between those things to satisfy different gamers of different abilities and interest levels. So I think threading that needle is probably the biggest challenge that, uh, that you face when you're, when you're talking about a game in the family space. Yeah. Ned, Ned, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well uh, with, with a game that you've made. I think that there are so many, so many already analogs that are there because of, you know, you have this really cute character who's like the main, the main star of the show. Uh, you know, yeah. what is, what are your thoughts about that from, from, you know, the challenges of building a family game in that way? Yeah, I couldn't agree more with what's uh, just been said, really. You know, we, we, with, with our game, we had to be really mindful of the difficulty curve and how we were pitching the game. You know, we want to make sure that, 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 that sorry, with our game, we've, you can play with one to four players. So we had this, not only did we have to account for different abilities and families and friends playing together, but also like making a game that could be played in single player or with four players. And, and, and when those players have different abilities, um, you know, you've got some as core gamers, some that just might be a, a friend of the family or whatever it might be. 
then um, you need to be able to pitch your difficulty curve so that everyone's engaged, everyone's having fun, people are challenged, but you know, it, 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 it's, um, it's just, yeah, it's a really difficult needle to thread. We did a bunch of user testing with our game with with families, and we uh, we were absolutely sure that we would see um, like um, parents helping young kids to play the game and egging them on. And it was completely the other way around. You know, it was it was always the kids, <laughs> like five six year olds, showing the parents how things were done. They picked it up so much quicker, and it, it was really cool to see. Yeah, Joe, I'd love to hear your thoughts about what it, what it takes to to kind of keep into that space as well in terms of, you know, what are some of the, you know, challenges in terms of, of, of building a game? Like, I don't, I don't even know if that was a thing that you were thinking about initially when you're starting the game of like, this may be a thing that, you know, the kids are going to play in that way. But I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about, you know, what that, what that sounds like in, in, from the team's perspective. Yeah. I mean, it was front and center of, of, of our minds while we were making it the whole, goal for four guys was to make a multiplayer competitive game for people who didn't want to shoot each other like that was really the fundamental and we had very similar things um where we ummed and awed for months about adding camera control into the game because we were really worried that kids wouldn't be able to do dual analog spin the control around and we had the exact same thing where like it's the kids kids know how to do that stuff they they know they instantly get it and it's the dad who is like facing the wall running in the wrong direction so that was a that was a that was a big realization and it it totally changed development because we were having to build our levels in this weird way where they were like a like half a coliseum like pantheon where everything had to be behind something else and you couldn't get stuck and as soon as we made that compromise it allowed us to like build much more interesting levels and we never really would have been able to do the kinds of things we were doing and it, it's just always a trade-off like you're always trying to, to like just just push a little bit in, in each direction and figure out what the things you can do i mean the other one as well was we had like a really hard and fast rule that every level needs to be explained in three words and that was mm. partly because people don't read in games and they just want to just start playing and if you write 10 words they're not going to read it but also we wanted that moment where an experienced player is playing with someone new or someone watching them. And they ask like, what do you do on this level? And it's just like, Oh, dodge the blocks, like avoid the slime, reach the finish. It was really, really important for us that you could communicate the game by looking at a screenshot or just a quick sentence or something like that. And that was something that was like, we talk a lot about, a lot about pillars while we're making that. And that was like one of our pillars for making levels was like the three word rule as we put it. I kind of love that because now thinking about every time I've played and how that pops up on screen, I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. That's, that's pretty brilliant. Um, Siobhan, I'd love to hear your thoughts because I know, I know whenever I have talked about dreams to folks when they're like, Khalif, what is dreams? Tell me what it's about. And, and I tell them a bunch of different things. But one of the things I kind of tell them is like when they're like, hey, can my kids play this? I was like, this is perfect for your kids to play. I was like, this is probably one of the things that I would kind of lean them towards. What, what's what's the conversation that you and the rest of the MM folks that kind of went into thinking about, you know, the challenges mm -hmm. of building a game where kids would probably be, be jumping into it? Um, well, thank you for saying that. Um, I think the thing for us has been um, very similar to everybody else where a lot of people underestimate children and um, believe that they um, can't handle complexity and that they and and yet like when we sort of put tools in front of them they're they're um you know they're, they're much more versed with technology than than grown-ups are really and their imaginations are just wild like wild uh they're unafraid they're bold you know and I think that there's 
something just completely magical when you actually get to um, play, uh, you know, create something with someone, a small person. Like one of my favourite collaborators is my niece. She's nine. <laughs> and, you know, she'll basically give me, you know, uh, direction on what to build. And it's just like there's just no limits to what she actually wants to see, whereas someone else will just overthink things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's just something. So, yeah, so for us, there is sort of one set of tools, you know, like they're for little people, for big people, for experienced people, for amateurs. Um, and I think the thing that we've always been surprised by and it's because at one point, actually, we did think it was probably maybe a bit too challenging for kids. And, yeah, same thing as everyone where that was just completely flipped around. Um, so, yeah, you know, constantly inspired by them. I'm, I'm very um, I think this is a wonderful category. I, I've, um, I, I love making products that appeal to children because I actually think they're the toughest audience. You know, they their attention spans like so tiny because you can <laughs> capture them. You can capture them and really grab them and get them, you know, into what you're making. It's such a, you know, it's just really special. So, um, yeah, I think all of the games on here are amazing. So congratulations to everybody on the on the panel because all of your, you know, I think what you do as games is just just amazing. So I love what we've done with Create and I, I'm really proud of, like, seeing kids do things with that. But um, what you've made is very entertaining, all of you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think, you, you know, I, I, again, think of games like, Astro's Playground too, and, and and I'm curious to hear from from you, Nicholas, about you know what were some of the things kind of going in that you were you know thinking about when it came to the idea of that you know younger audiences would be playing the game as well. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's really interesting to hear everybody's everybody's comments and this this idea of usability and sort of skill level and all the assumptions that we're making. That's really. It's actually very comforting to hear because I feel like, okay, that's everybody's dealing with the same issues. Um, you know, there's something kind of funny with this, this audience as well. You know, you talked about like attention span and, and sort of, you know, like, uh, you know, b- being so young that, you know, the mind is still kind of very open. And I think I, I kind of think of ourselves as, you know, as game developers, we're kind of magicians to this audience too. And a lot of stuff we do is about like putting these amazing tricks that are going to make people go, wow, you know, and whether it is a something about, you know, a particular kind of thing you can do in a game or, you know, even a technical wow, you know, there's always something that we need to look for, which is there to kind of touch the the kids inside all players, because it's not just the kids. In fact, when you think about like a good family game, I think there is something about it where even even a a, a, a player that, that is really experienced might actually kind of feel like, oh, this feels like the kind of emotions that I had being a kid playing, you know, different games. Mm. And I think it's about recapturing these moments as well. And I think all of that is subliminal. I don't think we ever talk about it with ever, you know, too, too explicitly. But I think it's also, you know, when the magic works, it's also because somehow we kind of touched even gamers, you know, quite deep inside their heart and things. So I think on working on these two levels, and just just considering yourself to be this kind of like yeah magician pulling things out of you know hats is is a way to to go about it and uh yeah it's tough like shevan said it's actually you know it's not because it's it's the younger audience that's actually easier to make in a way you know uh it's quite hard hey yeah. i love what you just said there about um that the family game category you know we all went to like talking about kids but actually you hit on the thing that's super cool which is they allow us to be kids too and sort of open up to that sort of just joyful play. It was a really good point. I really like that because that's the sort of sort of all secretly we're able to go, oh, yeah, no, I'm just pretending I'm just playing this with my niece or I'm just doing this because, you know, it's 
whatever. But ultimately, it's like all these games are celebrated because um, they allow us to just get into that real joyful play moment and really enjoy sort of mm. just, you know, just have a, yeah, kind of pure fun. I, I love that you shared that part both of you, because I think that one of the things that I keep coming back to as a, you know, as a conversation piece and as a part of the thoughts behind not only this category, but about the games that you've all made has been, you know, one of the biggest aspects to a lot of them has been around customization and, and creativity within that space. Um, Nate, I want, I want to jump to you really quick because I think, you know, Animal Crossing has done a, a fantastic job of giving players the ability to not only customize their islands and their, you know, their clothing and, and all these kinds of pieces that make your, you know, your island, your, your character, you. Uh, but it feels like that from the, from the beginning was something that was kind of baked into the kind of game plan for how you wanted your game to be very, very special in that way. Um, how, how important was it to, for the team to kind of take on customization and, and, and make it, so robust in that way and, and what kind of gameplay elements did they kind of grapple with the most now that you have kind of infinite ability to kind of put stuff into a game and, and, and grow it that way yeah well certainly um you know being able to move furniture outdoors was, uh, was probably one of the biggest challenges that the the team grappled with and then terraforming on top of that got complicated but you know i think from the beginning the uh one of the focuses was was figuring out how to balance um you know, two different types of experiences. One is where you have people living on their own island and they're inviting other people over and uh, whether they're, they're family members or, or what have you. Um, and then people who are living on the same island and sort of the permissions surrounding that as far as what can you do um, when you go to somebody else's place? What can you do when you're living on the same island? Um, you know, obviously you need to have some guardrails up there when you travel so that people that you haven't given explicit permission, you know, people who aren't your best friends can't be digging up your flowers and otherwise, uh, you know, griefing you because they're, <laughs> I've learned, I've learned that, that griefers, you know, begin very, very young, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> unintentionally, you know, there's uh, the, the potential is there for, for even the youngest player to, um, to cause some mischief either intentionally or unintentionally. And I think striking that balance um, was, was a, a big focus of the team. And then, um, you know, on the flip side of that, the, what is the family experience where you have a, a single switch in the household and everybody's living on the, on the same Island? How is that? Um, how is that fun? You know, who's the leader of the Island? Who, uh, how does the, the last person who logged on that day, how are they still having an enjoyable time as opposed to going through, you know, a, a place where all the resources have been pilfered and all the fun has been sucked out. You know, that's, that's quite a challenge when you, when you think about it, uh, sort of envisioning all those scenarios. And I think the team did a wonderful job really, I think of, uh, just making sure that they saw all those angles to begin with and, uh, and made it a wonderful experience for whoever was playing. Yeah. It's, 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 I'm still astounded at all the cool stuff that I wind up seeing when I go in game. Uh, I'm also sad that everyone who's made a spawn on me shirt for me, it has not been the coolest shirt. I'm sad about that. Uh, I will say that out loud. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I've, that I'm actually really curious about as well is, you know, for, for, for Ned and for Nicholas, I think, you know, getting a chance to work on new hardware with the PS5 uh, is actually really interesting from a, you know, how do you implement certain things into the games that are going to not only give the first impression of the console as a new and very shiny thing, uh, but how that kind of talks to, you know, the broad player base that you're going to wind up hitting, including younger younger folks there as well. Um, for Ned, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts around 
you know, um, you know, for Sackboy's Sack Big Adventure, you know, you had a new story to tell in that space and you're, and you're digging into to, to that conversation there. You know, how much fun was it to be able to kind of, you know, tell that story with these new bells and whistles and also kind of move Sackboy in this kind of different direction than his previous, previous versions? It, it, it was great fun. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, obviously, Sackboy um, is synonymous with with Little Big Planet, um, which was originally created by Siobhan and, and the team at, at Media Molecule, and 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 we were really lucky at Sumo to to have the opportunity to take this this wonderfully endearing character and this handcrafted world, and to use that to to create the best platformer that we could. And um, and we had really great fun doing it. Um, we one of the things that we set out to do with this game was to have loads of variety in it. And that meant lots and lots of different mechanics. Um, and for us as developers, that was great because it meant we could build loads and loads of prototypes, try a load of stuff, see what was fun. Um, and you know, not all of those prototypes made it into the final game, but um, but a lot did, and the, that 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 gave us all of these masses of variety. So you know, we in the game you can charge around in snowballs, you can get sticky resin on your feet and use it to walk up walls, you can uh, throw boomerangs to teleport. You know, the, the, there's a, a boss fight where you use like electronic touch screens that you're platforming across. You can slap your friends with a fish. There's just loads and loads of variety in there. Um, and, um, and I don't, don't know that I'll have another time in my career where, where we're given the freedom to choreograph an entire level to a, to a David Bowie song. So, so yes, it's fair to say we, we had a lot of fun making this game. We were so and, jealous. <laughs> um, and, and then I guess like to, to, to address the point about new hardware, you know, the, the dual sense um, was um, was a fantastic thing to get our hands on. It, it presented a challenge. There was no real frame of reference for it. You know, it wasn't like we could look at other games and go, right, well, how does this work? You know, it was it was brand new. Um, but it it really offered us and and with with um, the sort of handcrafted aesthetic of LBP and of Sackboy, it it it. it the, the, those games are very much about tactility and 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 the different like materials and so on. And what the dual sense gave us was was a way of creating a more physical uh, tactile connection to a, 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 a game that already looks very real and very touchable. Um, so that was that was really cool. Once we got our heads around it, it was really cool to be able to play with it. Yeah, Nicholas, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about like what were some surprises that you found you know, kind of getting your hands in, in, into the, to the new hardware and, and what kind of stuff kind of came to light during the development that, that you'd like to share? Yeah, so that's, yeah, it's interesting to, um, you know, like um, the the Astro and the, the Astro games actually don't have much of a, you know, background story, but the story is usually <laughs> like actually, uh, you know, revolving around, you know, the hardware in particular. And it's a kind of different ways to, to, to put a game together where your starting point is in a vision for a world or something like that is actually, you know, looking at your hands and go, right, okay, what's cool about this, right? <laughs> and then sort of starting to, uh, you know, um, try to kind of maximize the utilization of, you know, a particular kind of, you know, um, interface. And so um, in our case, we we based in Japan and uh, the engineering for the controller is also in Japan. So we've been able to kind of get our hands on controllers very early. And it's been really fascinating because, you know, as, as game fans, you know, having a controller in your hand that is like, you know, still a prototype with like cables and boards sticking out because, you know, years <laughs> before it doesn't look anything. 
like the final thing. And, and at that point, and just kind of experimenting with it and uh, imagining, you know, okay, so this kind of, you know, this, this vibration, this haptic system, you know, what can you do? What kind of expressions can you do? And you start experimenting and you find stuff for the first time. And you're not sure whether it's working, you pass it to someone else and you see the first reaction, you know, the very first seconds, you know, what, what do they, how do they feel? And these kind of things are really like, um, it's, it's, it's once in a lifetime or at least once very, you know, in, in, a, in, a rare, in rare occasions that you get these kind of moments where you can really uh, surprise with, uh, with, with the way an experience feels, you know, you know, platform games, I think, you know, they've been around for, you know, Casey was a platform game, right? Uh, they've been around for many, many years. And I think we owe a lot of the legacy to amazing companies that were there before us, you know, including some of the people here today. And for us, it was about just adding, you know, this kind of re refreshing this experience with something that had never been felt before. So that's, that was both, you know, it's both daunting because you've got to, you've got to make it, you know, worthwhile and fresh, but at the same time, it's it's incredibly it's a privilege to be able to kind of you know touch these technologies and and and, and bring them to to users first. So uh, that that side has been uh, has been yeah an amazing ride. Sharon, I want I want to dig into that with you too because you know your game has so many different ways to interact with it. You know the the, the kind of normal controller, you know the move yeah. controllers, and now VR. Mm -hmm. uh, so many different ways to kind of get into. Going all the way, um, you know, what were some of the kind of, you know, expressively kind of built, you know, how, let me go, let me go back a step. What were some of the ways you were all thinking about this from the beginning, from a very creative standpoint? What was the, what was the kind of inspiration that brought you to, you know, make such a game where imagination is at the forefront of it? And then I'm really curious to hear as well about the, you know, how you're all dealing with the multiple versions of controls that you have in this game and how you're getting that stuff to work. <laughs> We've all gone slightly mad. Um, <laughs> but, to, <laughs> but to answer the first one, um, I mean, it really, it actually really started, um, uh, interestingly, we, we'd finished Little Big Planet 2 um, and we were at the stage where we're actually sort of handing over to Sumo and um you know, we were, you know, in very early stages of thinking, like, what would we do next? Um, and we'd loved, like, obviously, we really love LBP, really, really proud of it. Um, but we wanted something that, we wanted to make something that would um, really allow people to put their individual style on the screen. Like, that was kind of one of the things that, that um, you know, with LBP, we, we'd put a very strict, like, art style over the top of it and and that is really what makes it all hang together it looks how it feels and so um um you know when we when we started to move away from that um around that time like we actually went to a uh sort of all like a yearly um sony meeting mm. um uh, Nicholas will remember these, like the big ones, you'd go to London and like everyone would be there and the big cheeses would give a big presentation on what's going on in the company. And one of the things that was shown there was from this group called Magic Labs who used to be in, play, in PlayStation. And they were showing a sculpting demo, um, a move sculpting demo. And we'd started to do some work on that type of uh, approach at Media Molecule. Uh, but we watched, um, and we decided to build the engine for that, and we watched this guy, Anton Mikhailov, um, uh, demo it. Uh, and uh, then <laughs> after, the, after that, we just uh, basically chased him onto the train 
and we're like, tell us more about like you know what you're doing and, and and how it's going and and you know for us it sort of really started at that point of like using the move controllers to be able to get the six degrees of freedom to be able to bring um, non-technical people on that journey you know how could we get our concept artists and our artists and our people who didn't want to use like tons of menus and all of that kind of stuff to create like what what sort of con- the, the move controllers kind of were the were the gateway basically to that and so that really was the beginning for dreams and um you know there was a very really small group of people working on dreams for years and it started with the sculpting and and from there and then sort of like we kind of layered on top of that um all of the different um other um sort of disciplines um, because you know when we began we we're like oh yeah we're going to make like a game development tool and it's going to be um have this sort of performance um it was like our our sort of watchword you know it was like it should be you better lose yourself and have sort of you know like when you get lost in making music or lost gardening or just get lost in your thoughts and you sort of have these happy accidents and um and then it was so quick that it's okay that you didn't you can just go with it like that was kind of always the, the idea um and um and yeah and and uh, uh, over the years obviously we then started to move to sort of figuring out how we'd move that onto the dual shock um and then onto vr but yeah that was sort of that those early days kind of set the philosophy of, of what kareem calls like sensitive tools mm-hmm. and that's just this idea that through gestures through movement through choices through subtlety and through nuance you can kind of end up by putting your own style out there. Uh, it's like our signatures or our handwriting is all very unique to each of us. And it's the same kind of thing of like approaching, um, uh, you know, putting something up on the screen. And, um, you know, it's it's been definitely been a process. Um, and to answer the second point, you know, it, it's interesting actually because um, you, I think being having the, the move controllers, the two moves and the dual shock, like we thought that we were being, you know, had done a lot of scoping by not supporting just one move. So that was basically our thought process there. It's like, you know, for us, it was really important that, like, it, you know, I, I think for, it was really important for us to support the two moves and make sure that that, like, spirit and philosophy of dreams was really in there. Um, and then with the dual shock, it's been about capturing that also. And with uh, VR, um, I mean, how could you not do VR? Like, VR is amazing. <laughs> And VR with the moves, like double amazing. So I mean, um, yeah. So it's just it's it's a really sort of once you sort of um, we're always just trying to break down barriers for people in terms of being able to for them to be able to get what's in their head up out onto the screen. And we love it when people who um, are non-traditional, like aren't actually technical people, they're they're really interesting people to sort of end up seeing like with two moves in a and a VR headset. And like mm. loads of technical people are like, what? I'm, I'm, I'm not getting involved with that. And then, you know, you have people who are like an illustrator who's like, just give, give me the things which help me actually make something in 3D. And yeah. those are fantastic, fantastic tools. I, lo- I love that. It's, it, it is also really interesting to see those different folks, how they kind of attack it uh, initially, because it is very, very different for, for everybody. Um, Joe, I'm, I'm curious to hear from you uh, really quickly about you know, in, in Fall Guys, you kind of have these abstract avatars, but you figure out a way to make it so that each of them, although your kind of movements are limited, 
that there's still a lot of expression that you can find within within the characters and within the world. I'm kind of curious about what the evolution of that was from a kind of design perspective. And, and you know, when did you kind of figure out, you know, the limitations there that you'd want to kind of guide players on so that they also feel that that expression there, but also understand, like, I need to get to the end of this end of this round. I need to get to the end of this map uh, in that ways, too. Yeah, I mean, we, we started really just by looking at a lot of game shows and really digging down into what makes people laugh in those game shows and what are the actions that people do. And that's where, like, you know, we knew we were going to have running and jumping, but diving came from the fact that you watch, like, people, when they try and make a gap, they have this weird idea that if I dive and land flat, I'll make it. And, it, and it's just funny to watch people's like front half hit the thing and their back half go and they like spiral around. <laughs> and so that, that was really the, the, the DNA there. And then we, we just knew that we wanted like grabbing in the game because moving through crowds, it just felt like there had to be some sort of wrestling, some sort of physical thing. And a little bit like you talked about with Animal Crossing, that like antagonistic behavior that's in the game. It just felt like you needed some something that was antagonistic. And grabbing just felt like the the thing because we didn't really know what people were going to do with it. It was just, <laughs> we had lots of conversations about cutting it because it's hard to do in a networked multiplayer game when people are running to have people, you know, for ages, if you grab someone, you just grabbed each other and then you moved further apart and then you just, one of you went into orbit. And we had very serious conversations about just cut and grab completely because why do you need it in a racing game? It slows you both down. It's pointless. Mm but it just felt like you needed to be able to influence the behavior of other people. But we had no idea that people would use that to have like hugging parties at the finish line, for example. Like that was just, <laughs> it's just this, this thing that's evolved is that like, just people like to have a little hug and then cross the line together. And it's been so lovely to see those things come out, but we didn't really think of it that way. Like it, it, it was, it was something that allowed us to do certain game types like tail tag and egg grab where you could carry stuff and, and it, and it came up from there. But I think the areas that we've seen that flourish the most are just the like, it's just funny to grab someone next to you, even though it's slowing you both down and it's never not funny. And that we talked a lot in development about what we called like, you have like strategic depth in like a, in a shooter or in a strategy game. But in Fall Guys, what we were focusing on was what we were calling like comedic depth. Like things have to be funny and they have to be slightly different each time because that's, it's the unexpected that makes people laugh. And I think that was like, really at the core of the game was making sure that each time you play it and especially for families as well it's it's everyone's laughing together everyone's entertained in a different way uh they were last time and that was kind of really the focus on getting things like grab getting things like the dive and stuff into the game just because they seem to make people laugh every single time we, we demoed them and that was really important to us i, lo I love hearing the, the conversation about the hug at the end of the race because one I've never gotten a hug at the end of the race. I'm sad about that. But also knowing that that's kind of a thing that you're seeing across the board is, is, is pretty fantastic. Um, we are now at the end of our conversation, but we have not ended the segment because now I get to give away an award, which is awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, our Family Game of the Year award goes to Animal Crossing New Horizons. Congratulations. Oh, okay. congrats, congrats, congrats. oh thank you. Awesome, awesome. Give the folks at home a little bit of uh, a love at home, Nate, uh, to, to, to celebrate your win. And on behalf of the Animal Crossing team, you know, especially uh, uh, Aya Kyogoku, who directed the game, um, and Hisashi Nogami, who is the producer, um, their deep gratitude um, uh, from, from across the pond in Japan. I hope all of you hear it. You know, they are extremely uh, grateful 
for not only the attention, but just just to continue to hear stories of, you know, families playing together, um, and especially sometimes families who aren't physically together and have been separated over the past year and have been able to come together over this game uh, has been really, really enormously gratifying and made all the hard work worth it. So uh, from the team, uh, thank you very, very much for this award. Well, again, you know, congratulations to you and the team and, and, and for everyone in this room, again, you know, Nate, Nicholas, Siobhan, Joe, and, and, and Ned, like the stuff you've all put into this space has always been fantastic. And, and this is a, another feather that you can all put into your caps about the wonderful work you've all done in this space. So again, thank you for being here. Uh, and again, congrats to you and the rest of the folks, Nate, uh, back home at Nintendo. Uh, we're going to see you all very, very soon. Uh, and we'll see you all in a bit. The Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences is excited to share that the 2022 DICE Summit and DICE Awards will be returning in person to the gorgeous Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino and Delano Hotel in Las Vegas on February 22nd to 24th, 2022. We'll be celebrating the 25th anniversary of the DICE Awards and bringing together industry leaders to share their ideas about the many facets of the interactive entertainment industry. Stay tuned to www.interactive.org and our Twitter at official underscore AIAS for more details coming soon, including special anniversary rates. We can't wait to see you again. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.